got one yay out of that. That was nice. Thank you for my yay. <coughs> All right. For those of you online, we do have the handout available whenever you want to download that. For those of you here, my daughters helped me pass them out, so all of you should have one, maybe, maybe not. It's only four pages today. I think it was, it was three last week, yeah. The girls are um, at a Christian school currently, and um, they are, as part of their schooling, they're required to memorize scripture. And, and, you know, we knew this, that we, it was a school that, that Kelly was really fond of getting them into, and um, we knew, you know, there was a lot of requirements, Christian requirements, which we wanted in their lives, and um, we expected them to memorize scripture. But, you know, I'm thinking John 3.16. I'm thinking First Timothy 4.12. Not that those are easy scriptures, but, but they're scriptures that I, I believe everybody should know. Um, you know, scripture, study yourself, study to show thyself approved, a workman needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, that kind of thing, right? Short, sweet, to the point, you get it, uh, it's good for life. But they come home, and, and their first scripture is like three or four verses long. And I'm like, wow, how are they going to memorize this? And, and they did the first one, and it was good. It wasn't too bad, but, but it, was, it was long. And then I thought, okay, they're, gonna, they're probably going to put up out one a week, and you're going to memorize this one scripture a week. And, then, and they did that for the first two weeks. And then they started sending passages of scripture, pages of scripture that, that the girls had to memorize, but they had to memorize it over a span of three weeks. So it was really a paragraph a week. And I thought, Wow. That's a lot of scripture. Why, why are they memorizing this scripture um, when I, I don't think they're going to remember it in the future? Hopefully they do, but, you know, it's just a lot. And, and so they're going through these things, and in order for us to memorize this, um, we, the first day, Tuesday, we read it out loud ten times. Ten times, you just read it out loud, and then you're done. That's, that's Tuesday. Wednesday... I have them take these note cards and they write down every single word of that scripture on one card and then we, we display them on the table and, and they're going to read it from there. On Thursday, they read the scripture and as they're reading it, I turn over the card so that they only see certain words, right? So we take out all the these and the ands and the this and, and then they start to see just the main words there and they're remembering the ands and the these and the this and then eventually we get to the place where the whole thing is just blank and now they're saying the scripture and they've they've gotten really good at this in fact i would invite you to have them recite a scripture for you right now we are in first corinthians 13 and they're they're memorizing the whole 13th chapter which i think is wonderful if i speak in the tongue of men and angels and have not love i am a resounding gog gong or a clanging cymbal and and i'm having to memorize this scripture as well which i think is great but it's man it's a lot of scripture to memorize so we're going through this i'm, I'm telling you this for a reason we're going through this and, and like i said we're doing first corinthians 13 right now and and right now they're memorizing 13 4 through 7 
It is the scripture that's on the top of your sheet. We're going to talk about that scripture today because as we're memorizing and as we're talking about it, I got a little bit of a different strategy because this scripture is actually broken up into component parts when I started to look at it. And, and so that first line, and, and we're memorizing in a different version. I think it's NIV, but I don't know for sure. Um, love is patient, love is kind, right? That's different than the King James. Love is patient, love is kind. Very easy to remember, so we got that down pretty quickly. But then when you look at it, there are um, seven items in there that say that, that love is not this right here. It does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, dishonor others, self-seeking, right? It goes through this whole list of things that it is not. And as I started to, to consume that in my spirit, I got the tingly jinglies, as AJ likes to say. And, and I felt something. The Lord kind of sparked something in me. And, and he said, I want you to recognize what it's saying here. We're going to go through these together today. Because as I started to, to really study it, it, it aligned in my heart with the seven spirits. And, and I think that is magnificent. I, I think it's very important for us today. So we're going to go through them, one by one through them. Uh, very proud of my daughters for memorizing these scriptures. It, it is a battle. There is weeping and gnashing of teeth when we do this. But it, it is good for their spirits. It's good for their minds. Um, I said, man, Kelly, this is a lot. It is a lot to memorize. And, and she said, well, consider that at a good school, non-Christian, a good school, they probably would have been memorizing Shakespeare or um, poetry, you know, of, of some sort. And it's true, right? You, you, have to, you have to engage their minds and have them memorize these things. And um, I, I, I agree. If they're going to memorize something, I would rather have them memorize Scripture. Uh, and, and that's great. So let's read it together. We're going to read it in the King James, not the NIV. And everybody's fine. I just like the King James. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Charity suffers long and is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, seeks not her own, is not easily provoked, thinks no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 7. Beautiful scripture. They like to read this at weddings. You've heard it many, many times, I'm sure, in your life. Um, but when you dive deep into what the Bible truly is telling us about love, I think there's some important things to note here. So we're going to start with charity, envieth not. It does not envy. And, and in my spirit, that aligned very quickly and easily with the spirit of judgment and burning. So, so for those of you who are new, I feel like I have to say this. For those who are new to our sermons, our teachings, um, a long time ago, and it feels like forever ago, a long time ago, we uh, started studying scripture and, and noticed this pattern of the spirit that, that the Bible was talking about. So the spirit of judgment and burning, the spirit of grace and supplication. All these spirits were laid out in scripture. And, and as pastor began to look into what that was saying for us, we recognized that it, that it was a very beautiful pattern of seven spirits um, that were outlined in there. In Revelation, you actually see the seven spirits of God mentioned, but not in this context, not spirit of judgment and burning, grace and supplication altogether. We had to go and find that. 
Um, so we, we found them. They're in there. Seven spirits are in there. There's uh, many, many books and scriptures and things that we have written in our library if you want to look those up. But, but we found the seven spirits of God. They are outlined here on this sheet. So you'll get a little picture of them if you, if you don't know what we're talking about here today. But the first one that we found here, charity envieth not, aligns with judgment and burning. So let's look at it. The, the word uh, envy comes from the word zello, to have warmth, a feeling for or against, to affect, covet earnestly, have desire, move with envy, be jealous over, zealously affect. The word envy here is aligned with the word agape, and it says agape envies not. But when you look at this, I started to think back about some scriptures, right? I'm, so I'm, I'm going in my mind thinking, okay, how does this connect to what God is trying to tell us? And, and the one scripture that kept coming to my mind is God is a jealous God. God is a jealous God. And I thought, well, how can it say that agape is not jealousy or envy is not when the Bible clearly says that God is a jealous God? So I thought, clearly, I'm, I'm not understanding something. We're going to look at that one. It's in here. It's Exodus 25. Uh, and actually, it's found somewhere else as well. But we're going to look at that one specifically here. We're going to start, though, in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 30. Have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but zello the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. So here we have Paul writing to the Corinthians saying, saying, look, not everybody has the gift of healing. Not everybody can speak with tongues or these diverse tongues. Not everybody has the ability to interpret. But I do want you to be zealous over, jealous over, covet the best spiritual gifts that are available for you. So here we have in 1 Corinthians 13, are they different authors? No, it's a different chapter same author. In fact, he wrote this before he wrote 1 Corinthians 13, right? One chapter before. But Paul is saying here, I want you to covet these spiritual gifts. And then later on in 1 Corinthians 13 is saying, but agape does not envy. So really, what does this mean if he's telling us to do it, but says that, God, that love doesn't do it? Let's keep going. 1 Corinthians 14, same guy. Follow after love and covet spiritual gifts but rather that you may prophesy. And then he goes into this whole diatribe about why prophecy is so important. He talks about spiritual gifts. He talks about speaking in tongues. And he says the most important thing that you can do when it comes to these spiritual gifts is to make sure that the people that are around you understand what is being said. So when you pray in tongues, people don't get it. They're not, they're not understanding you. They don't hear the words coming out of your mouth. They hear sounds. And their spirit may not resonate with it because they don't, they don't get it yet. They're not there spiritually. So the best thing that you can do is to prophesy. Speak into their language, the words coming from God to you out into them. That's, that's really what he's saying here. I want you to desire spiritual gifts, but rather this specific spiritual gift, which is to prophesy. 1 Corinthians 14, a little bit further down, 39 through 40. Wherefore, brethren covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues let all things done be done decently and in order so again covet desire zelo prophecy 
2 Corinthians 11. This is way further up. Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am zealous, jealous, zelo over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I, may, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And here is the true heart of what agape envieth not is talking about. I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. It is a separation between the desires of the world and the desires of God. That is what it's talking about here. Look, don't be envious or jealous of the things that are out here in this world. That's what you're not supposed to envy. What you are supposed to desire and envy are the things that God wants to give you. That is the envy that he wants you to have, not this other thing. And that's why it says, the purpose of God does not look out into this natural world and say, I want that. Look at Exodus 20. I said it was in here. You shall not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. These are, this is strong language. We know this. The, the Old Testament is replete with strong language. But here God is saying, I am a jealous God. I desire you. I want you to desire just me, me. And, and Brother Les alluded to this earlier, the, the lust after God. You said those words. The lust and desire after God, that is really what the heart of this is. So when it says, gape envieth zelo not, it's talking about the desires of this world. Look at Matthew chapter 6. I'm sure you've heard this many, many times. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust does corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will, you, where you, will your heart be also. I think Elizabeth sang a little bit of this during worship. Where is your heart? Where is the envy that you have? Here's, here's the beauty of this. This is, this is all strong language. The word desire, zelo, is not, hey, it, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing that you might want, right? There's, there's um, for those of you who are in the know, there's new consoles coming out. How many of you are excited about the new Xbox and the new PS5? Everybody? All the hands that went up in this. You should see it, camera, people on, on film. All the hands that just shot up in the air. That's right, that's right. Um, there are two consoles coming out. They come out every other year. There's two consoles coming out, one for the Xbox, Microsoft, one from, from Sony, the PS5. I'm sure Jeremiah's all on top of that, real excited about all this, all the young people, right? And Elizabeth, she wants one or two, she can get one. Very exciting stuff. They're next-gen consoles. Um, they're, they're, they're supposed to push the limits of graphics, and, and TVs won't be able to handle just how powerful these machines are going to be. And you have to have a great TV to have this great system. Otherwise, it's just not worth it, right? Because then you're not going to see the great graphics that are coming out. So it's, it's consumerism at its best. They're going to sell you this thing, which means you're going to have to buy peripherals, which means you're going to have to buy the TV, which means you're going to have to have a live, bigger living room. I mean, it's just, it's all-consuming, all-consuming. 
Did he? Oh, there you go. He's ready. He's got the TV. He's going to have a second controller for a buddy to come over. Got to get the, the headset so you can talk to your friends online. All, all this stuff, all this stuff is coming out, and I guarantee you, I guarantee you, it, it's a mad dash to get these things. There's a desire for these things. You look online, and, and there's people scrambling. In fact, because of this whole pandemic thing and people having to stay at home, they, they want them even more because what are you going to do when you're at home and, and you can't be with your friends? Well, you're going to go and play these, these video games and, and be with your friends there and, and be online. There is a desire for this, and, it, and it's massive. In fact, it is so massive that they're not going to sell these in stores. They don't have enough of them. They have already been sold out. They cannot sell these in brick-and-mortar stores because, because there's just not enough of them. And they've made millions of these things. So Sony's going to become rich. Bill Gates is already rich. But, but you see the desire of the people for this kind of thing. And what does that do to the people? I'm not saying that Xbox and PS5 are evil in the Antichrist. That's not the message here. Not what I'm saying. But I do want you to understand that type of desire lives in this world. It does. And God wants us to have that type of passion and that type of desire for him. That's really where it should be reserved. So when it says that agape envieth not, well, you could extend this to so many things out there in the world. You could extend this to, to love with another person. You could extend this to having things, the treasures. But what he wants you to direct it to is to him. And that's why this beautifully aligns in my mind with judgment and burning. Looking at what's going on and taking those things away, burning the shaft, and, and really refining the gold that God wants to have in your heart. That's how this aligns in me. So go to the next one. Charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up, right? It's not boastful. It's not proud. I, I, I lumped these two as one. In my mind, they're, they're pretty much the same thing. So they're the one thing. It's, it's the boastfulness. It's the pride. And it lines with, in me with grace and supplication. It is the word physeo, uh, and it comes from the word, which just means natural. The phys is just na nature. It's just natural. In the primary sense, you're taking that nature and you're expanding it. You're blowing it up to inflate, to make it proud, or to puff it up. There are examples of this used, this word used in other areas. 1 Corinthians 8. Now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge, and knowledge, is, knowledge puffs up. But charity, or agape, edifies. If any man thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet, as he ought to know. But if any man loves God, the same is known of him. He's talking about knowledge. He's talking about Pharisees and Sadducees who would, who would quote scripture to him and say, here's all the things that I know, Paul, all the scriptures that I've memorized, what they had not done is consume them into their spirit and into their heart. And that's really what I hope from my daughters. As we're memorizing these scriptures, that they don't memorize it just to memorize it, but that we begin to understand it. So what we've been doing is as we've memorized it, we've talked about what these scriptures mean and how they should apply to their lives. And I'm hoping to extend that even more. We need to take this scripture 
and, and invest it into our lives. That's, that's really what it needs to be. And that's what here what Paul is talking about. Agape does not puff itself up. It doesn't I- expand itself. What it does is it understands who you are. You have to know who you are. You don't take this knowledge and say, I'm something better than I am. I am what God has called me to be. And how do I increase that? Grace, supplication, is taking something from, from this, this area down here and promoting it to a new place. So you see how those align here, right? It's not that you are promoting yourself. It's that God is promoting you. That's where grace and supplication comes in. 1 Corinthians 4, 6. And these things, brethren, I have in, fig- in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. For who makes thee to dif- differ from another? What hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if you had not received it? In other words, Someone gave this to you. Why would you walk around like someone didn't give this to you? You didn't make this yourself. The, the girls were, were yelling at us yesterday. They like to yell at us. I'm sure many of you uh, have never experienced your kids talking back at you. They yelled at us. They, they said, um, what did she say? She said, it's not, it's not yours. You didn't make it. Everything we have in our house, we bought it. But she said, it's not yours. You didn't make it. That's, that's the scripture right here. You, you didn't, you, it was given to you. It was given to you. How, so how can you say that it's yours? So I get where she was going. I didn't make it. And then, my, and then mommy said, well, I made that quesadilla, so that quesadilla is mine. That's what she said. Yeah, she always has those good retorts. For, so for who makes thee to differ from one another? So notice the grace here. Look, you don't puff yourself up. You don't say, I'm, I'm, this, I'm the next best thing since sliced bread. I'm, I'm this amazing orator. I'm, I'm this great preacher. I'm, I'm this great thing. That's, that's what 1 Corinthians 13 is talking about. When it says, if you are in the agape, you're not puffing yourself up. You're not saying that I'm, I'm great, I'm awesome, I'm, I'm wonderful. Look at me, look at me, right? That's very easy to understand. What we look at, though, and how it aligns with the seven spirits is, grace you don't puff yourself up but recognize that god wants to increase you not not so that you can puff yourself up but he does want to increase you he wants to take you to that next level and this scripture here first corinthians 4 is talking about just that when he increases you recognized that he has increased you you received it You received it. So guys, don't walk around like it wasn't given to you. It was given to you. So take take that and do something with it. So you can see the grace and supplication aligning itself with this pride here. The next one, does not behave itself unseemly. This one aligned, in in my opinion, with wisdom and revelation. Um, This word, unseemly, is the word askameneo, and it really means just unbecoming, to behave, to behave yourself uncomely. It's found in another place in Scripture, in 1 Corinthians 7. But if any man thinks that he behaves himself uncomely towards his virgin, 
If she pass the flower of her age and needs so require, let him do what he will. He is not sinning. Let them marry. Nevertheless, he that stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity but has power over his own will, and has so decreed in his heart that he will keep his virgin, does well. So then he that gives her in marriage does well, but he that gives her not in marriage does better. It's interesting, this scripture, right? It's talking about a man and a woman coming together. It's talking about love. It's talking about marriage. And, and this word here, behave himself uncomely towards, is really talking about taking advantage, right? It, it, it's aligns with wisdom and revelation because it's talking about someone recognizing all of the options that are available to him or her. Looking at the landscape of what's going on and saying, where is my life going to be better directed when I begin moving forward? And, and that's wisdom and that's revelation. You, you rely on God to tell you, hey, here's what I think, and then you make the decision, you make the choice. And it is a choice, as, as Brother Les uh, alluded to earlier today as well. We all go through choices. We make choices. Most of us here, well, probably all of us, have chosen the one hand. We have chosen God. We have chosen Christianity. We have chosen to, to uh, live our lives to please him. That's this wisdom and this revelation. We, we have been given a choice, and we choose God. That's what this one is talking about as well. Do not, does not behave itself unseemly. But let's look at another passage, same author, but different book. Um, Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 15, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So 1 Corinthians 13 is truly talking about understanding wisdom and revelation and how God wants to impact that, inject that into your life. He wants you to have this wisdom, this revelation, and that's what he wants you to move forward with. We should be walking circumspectly. We should be walking wisely. We should be redeeming the time and understanding what the will of the Lord is. When it talks about here, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That is exactly what does not behave itself unseemly is. Those who are walking in the agape of the Lord are those that have wisdom and revelation and are, are moving forward in unpacking and making the choices that God has called them to make. Let's move on to the next one. Going through these quickly. Seeks not her own. Prophecy, life, and supply. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. I say unto you which hear, love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you. And pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smites you on the cheek, offer also the other. And him that takes away your cloak, forbid not to take your coat also. Give to every man that asks of thee, and of him that takes away the, thy goods, ask them not again. And as you would that men should do to you, do you also to them likewise. For if you love them which love you, what thank have you? For sinners also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if you lend to them of whom you have hope to receive, what thanks is there? Because you're, you're expecting to get something back. For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. 
But love you, your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and you shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. So seeks not her own. He's talking about this passage right here. And it's truly talking about life. You're, you giving life into somebody else and receiving that life likewise. When, when you talk about seeks not her own, how are you in love preparing others to receive God's love? And, and I think it's, it's very important, um, very impactful, really, that, that this, this uh, what Cece spoke about this morning and how that affects all of this. Right? When, you, when you look at, at the lives of people and they're walking around living their lives, doing whatever it is that they want to do, they see that in us. They see Jesus in us, hopefully. And, and us to, for, for someone to go up to a person like that and to reprimand them and to say that you are wrong and that you don't know what you're doing and you're going to go to hell is not what they want to hear. In fact, they will reject that and they will run away from it. And they will say, That's, you are the devil. I don't want to be anywhere near you. When you respond with love and guidance and support, that's really what's going to change their minds and with what it's talking about here. So you don't seek your own. The agape of God does not seek itself. It does not seek to increase itself. What it seeks is to love others. That's what this passage is talking about. And, again, it aligns very quickly with prophecy, life, and supply. Speaking into others giving them life and supplying for their need. Let's look at another one. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for the morrow shall take thought of, of the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Focus not on today, but focus on how you can fulfill agape and love in the life of others. The next one, is not easily provoked, aligns with holiness and saintliness. These next two, holiness, holiness and saintliness and the glory of God, um, to me, we're, we're very, very close together. So we're going to read these all the way through together. And I'm, I, we're treating them as two separate things because I want you to see how they align with the seven spirits. But, but they are very closely related, so we're going to read it that way. So this, this word is paroxeno. And it comes from a derivative, 3691, which means sharp. To sharpen alongside, to exacerbate, to easily provoke and stir. So it is not easily provoked. And, and the first thing that came to my mind was this scripture here, Proverbs 27. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. I love that scripture. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. That's what... This scripture here uh, in 1 Corinthians 13 is talking about is not easily sharpened. Is not easily sharpened. And, and when you think about that, right, we, we should be quick to receive uh, revelation. We should be quick to receive um, constructive criticism. We should be teachable. We should allow the Lord to invest and speak into our lives. And what it's saying is when, when you are walking in the agape, when you're walking in the purpose of God, you have to be very, very mindful that you don't let the wrong things provoke you. That you don't let the wrong things sharpen you in, the, in a bad way. I have a knife. I have lots of knives. I love 
to have sharp knives. If you ever go to Stacy's house, Stacy does not have sharp knives. She needs to get sharper knives for cooking. Maybe for Christmas she'll get some sharp knives. But we go over there. We go over there, and um, I, I, I brought a sharpener one time to sharpen one of her knives. I like a really nice sharp knife whenever I cook because if you don't, it, it's, very, it's very easy for you to hurt yourself, right? You're, you're trying to get this thing cut, the meat, the vegetables, whatever. It'll slip, and then all of a sudden you're cutting yourself, and then there's blood all over the place. Hospital visits ensue. That's never a good thing. I have a knife, beautiful knife. It's, it's one of those Japanese knives that I got on Amazon, and um, I was washing it, hand washing, of course. You don't put these things in the dishwasher. Hand washing it, and it slips. It slips, and it falls and it clatters to the floor, and now it's got this tiny, tiny chip in it, and the knife is just unusable. You cannot use a knife like this with the chip right in the middle. And I've been contacting them to see if I can get a replacement. They have a lifetime warranty. They will not respond to me. I've called them, I've emailed them, I've, I've tweeted to them. I put it on Twitter. I, I thought maybe I'll be like the president and, and see if maybe he'll, they'll respond this way. No, no response. So all this time I've, I've spent every single day, every single day I will send them an email to support at kiyokuknives.com and I'll say, hey, looking for information on your lifetime warranty. Hello, it's me again, looking for information on your lifetime warranty. Hey, here's a picture of the chip that I have in my knife. Over and over I'm, I'm, I'm texting these people, or email, emailing these people, telling them that I have a chip in my knife and I want a replacement or some help or some guidance, right? Knives. These, this, this piece of metal with the sharpness on it is very, very fragile. You have to have a sharp knife to cook, a really good knife to cook. So I've got sharpeners. I've got uh, honers. It's that, that big stick that looks white that you use to kind of just take the burrs off of the knife. There's a lot of different ways to keep your knife uh, maintained, sharp, beautiful, and, and I try to do those things. I'm very mindful of how I take care of my knives. The agape of God is the same way. You have to be very mindful of who or what is sharpening your knife because it can destroy your edge. It, it will mess you up. If you've ever tried a, a bad sharpener or, or done, trying to, try to do it manually without the use of, of mechanisms or machines, you can create tiny little burrs inside that knife that will keep it from being effective. That's what this scripture is really talking about. That's why this word here has the root sharpen. You've got to be very mindful of who you invite or allow into your life, what things you allow to influence you outside, and, and, and then be careful that you don't let them come into your heart. So we, we have this concept, right, of missionary dating. We have this concept of um, sequestering yourself. I'm not, I'm not saying all of that. I'm saying you have to be very careful. I have friends at work. We, I talk to these friends, right? Uh, I don't hang out with them. They're, they're just not my crowd. But I do have friends at work, and we talk, and, and then maybe we'll joke. We have hung out socially um, through, through work events. They're not necessarily the type of people that I would want to hang out day in and day out with because I have to keep my knife sharp. That's what the agape of God is talking about here. Agape is not easily provoked because it understands holiness and saintliness, that it is set apart for a good work, a work that needs to be refined and taken care of. That's what holiness and saintliness is about. 
You have to be very careful. These knives that I have, the, the Kyoku knives, super sharp, super well balanced. I keep them in their own private sheaths. We've got this drawer. When you open up, there's three or four knives in there that have these, these, these sheaths on them, and they're set apart from everything else. We've got steak knives. I've got a butcher knife that I use for just casual cutting and stuff. All of that is over there on the butcher block. It's just over there off to the side. We also have another drawer. The knives are just kind of thrown in there. Kelly hates that drawer because she's worried that someone's going to put their hand in there and just slice off a finger. Well, don't go in the drawer then. But So you've got this drawer of stuff, but these knives, very special knives. Very special. That's how we have to treat our hearts. That's how we have to treat the agape, the love that God has given us, the purpose that God has given us. You have to treat it special. That is why it aligns holiness, saintliness. Thinks no evil. It's the word logizomai, and it really means to take inventory. And it's very closely aligned to what we had just talked about with holiness and saintliness. It means to conclude, to esteem, number, reason, reckon. It, it means to just take into account all the things that are happening. So I started reading this and thinking, what, Lord, what, how does this align with the glory and of God? And, and he gave me this scripture here, Exodus 33, verse 20. This is actually a very long passage. I don't have all of it in here. I invite you to read it. It starts at Exodus 33, 20. Read all the way through, all the way to the end of what we're going to read. We're going to read three passages of it. But you know the story, and here's the main crux of what I want to talk about. And he said, you cannot see my face, for, sh for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass, while my glory passes by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by, and I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. You recognize this, right? Moses. Moses is talking, and he says, God, I want to see your face. I've been talking with you all this time, but I want to see you. I want to be with you. I love you. I desire you. That's the agape we're talking about, right? I desire you. And God says, you can't see me. You cannot see my face and live. But there's a, there's a crack over here. And if you put yourself in that crack, right, just wedge yourself in there in the cliff in the crack, I'm going to pass by. And as soon as I'm done passing by, step out, and then you'll see my backside. You'll see the back part of me, and you won't die because you won't see my face, but you'll see my glory. You'll see my glory. So he does this, and then the, the Lord begins to proclaim his name, Exodus 34, verse 4. And he hewed two tablets of stone like unto the first, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, took in his hand the two tablets of stone, and the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed his name. So God is passing by. He proclaims his name. He's got these two stone tablets with him ready to write down the mandates that God is going to give him. That's why he's there. Exodus 34. And he begins to say the covenant, the commandments. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, whether thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee, but you shall destroy their altars, break their images, and cut down their groves. For thou shalt worship no other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. We talked about this at the very beginning, didn't we? 
God is a jealous. He envies. He desires you, and he wants you to desire him. So when it talks about thinks no evil, what it's talking about is making an inventory of all the things that are going on in your life. And I, I assign that or attribute that to the glory of God and how the glory of God will teach you to walk in his ways. So this isn't a story about the Ten Commandments, although the Ten Commandments are great and they should be followed. This is a story about how God and his glory will teach you his ways. And when you make an account, they go, Zemai, when you make an account, you will find that no evil can take hold in there. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think, legozemai, on these things. That's how it aligns with the glory of God and that's what the Lord wants us to be thinking about when it says, think no evil. The purpose, the agape of God, is spoken right here in Philippians chapter 4. These are the things that you should be making an account of. And then finally, come to a close. Rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Very, very quickly and easily aligns with truth and sonship. Um, I have the word there. Sigcharo, to sympathize, and gladness, to congratulate, just to rejoice. That's what that word means. And then aletheia, the word truth. We've spoken on truth many, many times. But let's read this scripture, Mark chapter 12, verse 28. One of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him. So there's a scribe. Pharisee, Sadducee, one of the, one of the elect, one of the church leaders, he's there, and he's He's listening to Jesus talk, pontificate, share, teach. Jesus is there, he's teaching, he's talking, and this guy says, hey, master, I've got a question for you. I've got a question. What's the greatest commandment? What's the first commandment is, is, is what he asks. Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this. You shall love thy neighbor as thyself. There is no other commandments greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength... And to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, what does that even mean? He said unto him, thou art not far from the kingdom of God, and no man after that darest ask him any question. How, how did he answer discreetly? You know what discreetly means, right? There's some hidden message in there. He answered in such a way that he was hiding something. Well, but what is he hiding? He said, what's the first commandment? Well, it's this. It's the, it's the Shema Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Look at Deuteronomy. It's right there below it. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is the Shema Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord thy God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently unto your children, 
and shall talk of them when you sit, sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. So it's in here. But what's not in here is the second commandment, the one that Jesus mentions. He says, the second is like it, namely this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandments greater than these two, is what Jesus says. And the scribe agrees with him, and he says the second one. So what was the scribe looking for? Well, he said, what is the first commandment? What he wanted was to trip Jesus up. Not necessarily, not not make him be a bad guy or anything like that but he was really looking for jesus to answer this wrong he was probably looking for him to answer the the ten commandments the first commandment there he wanted him to hear to say something that would prove that he was the messiah and jesus does and you'll see this here but he says this he goes well what's the first commandment and the first commandment is the the shema israel and so he says it, and this perks everybody up. See, they love this scripture. The Jews loved this scripture because it was the foundation for what they believed, the foundation. It was the very, very, very lowest thing that you could ever know about God is he is great, and you love him, and you're gonna love him with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, all of that. That is the foundation of our, of our religion is what they believed. And it's what we believe too, but it's what they believe. This is the foundation of what we believe. And for him to say that perks them up because they're thinking, okay, wait a minute. He's saying the right stuff here. But Jesus extends that scripture. And he says, not only is that the truth, but that you should love your neighbor as yourself. And so he takes this foundation and he builds upon it. And that's the truth that Jesus was talking about here. Remember when he talked to Peter and he says, on this, on this truth, on what you just said is what I'm gonna build my church on, this revelation that, that I am the Messiah, that I've come here to save the people, that it's not just about you, not just about you loving God, but it's about you using that love to extend yourself to these people and to bring them in. That's what these will nots or, or is nots of the agape is all about our love and desire for god and him using us in the ministry him using us in the ways of god the seven spirits that's what we learned they were the ways of god he wants us to use those ways to reach his people to love his people and so the truth that he was answering discreetly upon why didn't the guy say why didn't he say hey i only asked you for the first one or why didn't he stop at the first one? He says, hey, you've spoken the truth. There is only one God, and it's him. And to love him with all your heart, your understanding, your soul, your strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And Jesus says to him, you get it. You understand it. You're with me. I, I, I see you, buddy. I see that you love the people, that you're not here for the religion. You're not here for the, the, the puffed upness. You're here to make sure that these people are fed and they're watered and they're grown. That is truth. That is what God really wants from you. And at that point in time, no man dared ask him any more questions. Why? I think they saw it. I think they saw that, that reveal 
and, and looked at him and they said, wait a minute, there's something going on here. So when he tried to answer discreetly, I think he was caught, but caught in a good way because then the Jews were like, now he's gonna catch me in my heart and where I am and I'm not gonna ask him those questions because I'm not there yet. My heart's not ready. My life's not ready. I've, I've been doing all these things for myself. I am puffed up. I am envious of what's out there in this world. I am greedy for the things of this world. It's what they're thinking. And they're like, no, I, I can't ask him any more questions because he is gonna reveal truth in my life and I'm not ready for that. That's why this aligns with truth and sonship because that partner, that heir, the, the prince, are us being princesses and princesses, princes and princesses, princesses, us being the heirs and co-heirs with Christ is what this is all about. A responsibility to love. The ways of God, use them to love the people. So I, I found this fascinating as I was studying it. And, and I hope that one day my daughters, as, as they have memorized this scripture, will begin to understand the depth of what these, these scriptures, as they're memorizing them, truly have for them because I think it's beautiful and I think it's wonderful for all of us to have. So, Father, I just thank you for this word. I thank you for a, a school that honors you, that teaches my children to honor you, and, and I pray that you will strengthen us. Lord, give my, my children the mind of Christ. Allow them to memorize these. But not only that, Lord, but to, to hide them in their heart that they may, may not sin against you. And, and let it be a lamp unto their feet. And Lord, as, as we have read this, let us follow your ways. Let us love agape the way that you have called us to have charity, to have the agape, and to move forward with loving the people, to move forward with, with loving and desiring you, and, and to just understand what it is that you have for us, Father. We thank you for all these things. I pray in Jesus' name they be accomplished. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. God bless you. Have a great afternoon, and we'll see you again soon.